Welcome to Cardboard Conjecture. We're a podcast about board games where we have opinions and conclusions formed on the basis of incomplete information. This episode of Cardboard Conjecture is brought to you by these great Saskatoon businesses. Amazing Stories Comics on 8th Street, Dragon's Den Games on 8th Street, and Breakout Escape Rooms on Faithful Avenue. Hey there, how's it going, eh? This is What You've Been Playing Wednesday, and this is a special weekly episode where us content creators collaborate to let you know what we've been playing recently. And a special announcement on this episode, we'd like to introduce a new member to the What You've Been Playing Wednesday cast, The Rat Hole. And on this episode, definitely a board game podcast, Mozart Games, The Rat Hole, The Meeple Dungeon, Dice and Dragons, and Cardboard Conjecture. And as always, please check out the show notes to the links to the What You've Been Playing Wednesday cast, and sit back and enjoy. Hello, I am A.A. Ron Millich. And I'm Royce Calverly. And we are definitely a board game podcast, a podcast definitely about board games, except when they're not. And we are here once again on What You've Been Playing Wednesday. Royce, you know I'm going to ask you. What you've been playing? Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Well, I can answer that. All right. So, I went to a game day. I went to a game day put on by our friend Matt, the podcast police. (laughs) And Matt is runs this game day in the basement of the cavalry church here in toronto is that your last name uh, close yeah <laughs> a little spelling difference but right. close yeah yeah that's why i have a hard time pronouncing it <laughs> so i brought along every game i could think of that was appropriate including little devils ah. little devils by michael Feldcutter. Uh, this is published by Stronghold Games and White Goblin Games in 2012. Hmm. So it's well, an older, older game. One, yeah. It's one that I got in my end of the world box from Stronghold Games uh, about a year or so ago. I remember. Yeah. So this is a trick-taking game. Oh. It's a trick-taking card game. Uh, you have a deck of cards that are numbered 1 to 54. And they're 54 cards. And if you play with fewer players, you use less cards. And it's the easiest trick-taking game to explain that I've ever seen. Here's how it works. The leadoff player can play any card out of their hand, basically. One exception. They can play any card out of their hand. The next player can play a card that's either higher or lower. Their choice. Everyone after that has to play a card that is either higher or lower to match whatever the second player played. Okay. So if I play a 30, the second player plays a 29, everyone else has to play a card that's lower. And whoever plays the lowest card wins the trick, and you don't want to win any tricks. Oh. Every trick is negative points, basically. Hmm. If you can't play under, you play over. And you automatically are going to get that trick unless somebody else plays an even higher oh, card. Cool. So it becomes very much a, I'm going to go low and hope that no one else has low so that even though I'm low, they are still up higher. And it really is a fantastic game. I will say we initially played it sort of as a quick learning game with three players. Awful. Oh. Awful, awful. We were just (laughs) sitting at this, staring at these cards, thinking this is like the worst game we've ever played. (laughs) Because with three players, what would end up happening? One player would play the 30, the next player would play the 29, and the third player would get the trick. 
No. Because yeah. you have no choice. And mm. it just kept happening. With We played it again with six players. And that's where the game really plays well. Oh, six. Six players, five players. So that you end up with these spaces. The first place plays 30. The next plays like 20. You're trying to get in between that 20 and 30. But if you can't, you want to be as close to the 20 as possible so somebody else can then get in there. With more players, it works. It's an amazing trick-taking game for six players, which is rare. There aren't very many really good trick-taking games for lots of players. It's just really, really bad with three players. Yeah. Well, aside from the fox in the forest, there's not too many trick-taking games that I can think of that work well with three. Uh, Reapers, a game we talked about in one of our recent episodes. If you actually check out our episode 43, we talk about Reapers some more. Uh, Reapers plays really well with three. Nice. See, I don't know what I'm talking about. Well, that sounds good. I have a card game, too. Can I talk about it? Yeah. Yeah. All right. Why not? Is it as good as Little Devils? I like it. I don't it's, know. When. <laughs> <laughs> that doesn't mean anything. <laughs> oh, Aaron likes it. I'll never play it. Um, it's called Ramen Fury. And uh, it's it's from Forest, Pruzan Creative, Prospero Hall, Mixed Lore 2019. Picked it up at Indigo. It's one of those games you can just find there. What I like about it is it's an experience. It literally comes in a ramen noodle package. And when you open up the plastic package and pull out the deck of cards, it's actually in a box that looks like dried noodles. And the idea of this game is you're essentially trying to make a really nice bowl of ramen with lots of points. It kind of brings together Sushi Go and Stir Fry 18. If you ever played that game on Board Game Arena, it kind of brings those two games together. Um, you're trying to get sets of things, you're trying to collect vegetables and protein, uh, you're always trying to, uh, there are certain, um, what are they called, cards where you have to fulfill the action. Uh, you're trying to fulfill certain things in your bowls. You only get to put in five ingredients, so you have to be kind of choosy. However, there's things like chili peppers that you can throw into opponent's bowls to ru- to ruin their ramen if they don't have the right ingredients. And they can also use spoons to pull ingredients out of your bowl to make your bowl worth less. As soon as someone fills three bowls with ramen, everyone else tallies other points, whoever has the most points wins. Lots of fun. Nice and easy, good-looking game. Not very expensive. Twelve ninety-five at Indigo. Like I said, it comes in a great package. Really enjoyed it. It was a lot of fun, and uh, highly recommend it. Yeah, you know what? I, I disagree with this game on a fundamental level. Why is that? Because this implication that chili peppers are bad in ramen. <laughs> I love my chili pepper ramen. Come on. Have you ever had just chili pepper ramen though? I. I, what do you mean, just chili pepper? So ramen, broth, noodles, and chili pepper? I mean, I have a chicken jalapeno ramen that's but there's chicken. fantastic. Okay. Yeah. There's okay, <laughs> all right. So you're saying if you have peppers, it's bad, but if you have peppers plus chicken in your ramen, it's okay. That's right. Yeah, I like this game again. <laughs> anyway. Also, I'm kind of hungry. <laughs> well, good. We'll go. Mm-hmm. And you can eat. We'll let these people go, too. If you want to hear more of this nonsense, check us out at Definitely Board Game Podcast. We're on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, all the places podcasts that you can find us. If you want to talk to us, definitelyboard at gmail.com, at board definitely at Twitter, at definitelyboard on Facebook, and definitely a board game podcast, Guild on Board Game Geek. You can reach us there, and it'd be lovely to hear from you. And as always, we'll be back 
a future episode of what you've been playing Wednesday. Royce, anything else before we go? Million dollar idea. What's that? Royce and Aaron's Little Devil's Spicy Pepper Ramen Restaurant. Yeah. Okay. Goodbye, Royce. (laughs) Goodbye, Royce. Hey everybody, my name is Chris Morris from Mozart Games, and I am back with Cardboard Conjecture to talk about what you've been playing Wednesday. You can find me on Twitter as SpiderMo, that's Spider with a Y, if you like what you hear, and want to give me a follow for some board game thoughts, my ongoing challenges as a designer, and a little bit of me complaining about random things. This week, I want to discuss King Domino Origins from designer Bruno Cathala and published by Blue Orange Games. Origins is a standalone game in the King Domino line of games, but unlike previous ones, it's not compatible with King Domino due to a change in theme. Now, for those of you not familiar with King Domino, first of all, where have you been for the last five years? Uh, But secondly, here is a quick breakdown of how to play. Now, in King Domino, players will be building kingdoms by drafting domino-like tiles with two terrain shown on each of them. Tiles must be placed so that at least one side matches a previously placed tile, and your kingdom must stay within a 5x5 grid. Terrain scores at the end of the game based on its size multiplied by the number of crowns within that group. It's a very simple game that provides a ton of replayability and several expansions to keep things fresh. Now, King Domino Origins sticks to this concept, but replaces the crowns with fire, because instead of medieval kingdoms, players are building a prehistoric tribe this time. Now, adding to the basic terrain types is the inclusion of volcanoes that can spew fire several spaces away, making your terrain more valuable than in previous games. This adds a lot to the drafting portion of the game, because players must balance between drafting tiles that will make their terrain larger or taking a tile with a volcano on it that will score no points on its own, but depending on where you drop the fire, can make other areas much more valuable. This adds a nice change to the game and provides players with a lot more options while trying to draft tiles each round. Now this on its own would make King Domino Origins a worthy addition to a game collection, but the game actually comes with two additional game modes that will add more variety to the game and increases the replayability. The first mode is called Totem, where players are trying to collect four different types of resources that are depicted on certain tiles. Each resource that you collect during the game is worth an additional victory point at the end, but whoever has the most of each resource takes a Totem token, providing them with additional endgame victory points. Now, these tokens will be passed around during the game based on whoever has the most of each resource at any given time, so it's very important to keep an eye on what your opponents are drafting. Adding to this puzzle is the fact that every time that you place a fire token on a tile, any resource on its spot is instantly removed, meaning that you're improving the value of your terrain, but you may lose the lead on that resource depending on what your opponents are doing. Now, this additional mechanic is a lot of fun and adds a bit of a risk-reward portion to the game. And then the final game mode is called Tribe, and it removes the totems from the game, but adds a market of cavemen and cavewomen to the table that players can collect throughout the game. 
Each caveman has their own endgame scoring based on things that are around them, whether that is resources, fire symbols, or other cave people. Players can turn in two different resources at any time to collect one of the four cave people available, or they can top deck and take a random one. Alternatively, players can spend one of each resource to look through the deck and take any one tile that they want, which can be costly in terms of resources, but it may be worth it if you have a perfect setup for a particular tile. In this game mode, the resources no longer score on their own, but they can make the cave people tiles placed much more valuable. Now, all three game modes play relatively quickly, and most games will wrap up within about a half an hour, which makes King Domino Origins a perfect filler or a game that can be played several times during an evening. The artwork by Cyril Bouquet is very charming, with an almost Flintstones-like style to it. There's also a decent amount of diversity shown within the 10 different Cave People tiles. The art on the tiles is very clear and very easy to see at a glance if a tile has a resource that needs to be added to it, or if they have any pre-printed fire symbols on them. The wooden caveman meeples and resource tokens are screen printed on both sides, and it's fun to place them on your tiles. I enjoyed standing the mammoths and the mushrooms up on their tiles during the game and making little patterns with them. Origins takes everything from the original King Domino and adds some great elements to provide more depth to the gameplay while keeping its charm and ease of play. With the three included game modes, you can teach somebody who's not familiar with games very easily and slowly introduce them to the more complex modes of the game over time. However, veteran gamers can easily start off with either Totem or Tribe mode immediately. King Domino has always been a game that I have thoroughly enjoyed playing in the last couple of years, but I don't honestly think I'll ever play it again, as Origins will replace it every single time. I never really enjoyed what Queen Domino brought to the game, as I found the additions of the coins way too finicky, and it detracted from the simplicity of the original. But Origins hits a sweet spot for me. The two-player game allows players to build a 7x7 grid, which is much harder than it seems at first, as those additional tiles make it nearly impossible to build a perfect grid. Now, if you've played King Domino previously and enjoyed it, I cannot recommend Origins enough. Alternatively, if you didn't enjoy it, Origins might just add enough to the game that it changes your opinion. Also, if you've never owned King Domino in the past, this is a great way to get into the game, or you may be able to find used copies a lot cheaper shortly, as I fully expect people who enjoyed the original to sell off their copies once they give this version a try. Once again, I am Chris Morris. Thank you for listening to my thoughts about King Domino Origins. If you liked what you heard from me and want to see or hear more, I can be found on Twitter as Spidermo. Thanks again for listening, and may all your dice rolls be critical successes. Hey folks, it's Ryan here from Bridgety Board Gamers, and I'm one half of the weekly podcast Cardboard Conjecture, where we offer our opinions and conclusions formed on the basis of incomplete information. You can find us all over the interwebs, Twitter, Instagram, Facebook, just search us up at BC Board Gamers. And also go and check out our YouTube channel, Beat Bridge City Board Gamers, where we have a whole bunch of unboxing and some playthrough videos. And you can watch me on Wednesdays 
um, playing various board games with Rob from the Meeple Dungeon and Riley Stock from the uh, Board Game Community Show. Now, if you listen to Cardboard Conjecture, you know that I've started really exploring gaming with my with my six year old son Regan. Lately, we just picked up Savannah Park by Deep Print Games and published by Capstone Games as part of their family games lineup. And it's published in 2021 here, and it's got the great design team of Wolfgang Kramer and Michael Kiesling. I am a sucker for a good Kramer and Kiesling production, and this game does not disappoint. Now, Capstone Games is really knocking it out of the park with this Capstone family lineup. We recently picked up, uh, not too long ago, and you may have heard me talk about it, Juicy Fruits was a really, really great game, really simple rule set that you can, you know, change up the difficulty of play depending on who you're playing with. Now, Savannah Park has that exact same uh, DNA and ideology behind it where there is kind of like a more family kid version of the game and then you can make the game a little bit more difficult or a little bit more variable uh, depending on how you want to play. Now in Savannah Park, what are you actually doing is that it's kind of like a tile laying game but with kind of like a unique twist on the what I like to call the bingo mechanic where everybody's got the exact same set of animal tiles. It's Savannah Park so you're kind of like outlining or laying out animals in a savanna. And everybody's got the exact same set um, of tiles. And they did depict a whole bunch of different animal types. And there's varying numbers of animals on these tiles. And essentially what you're trying to do is you want to try to create the same groupings of these animal tiles across across your board. So if you can create a herd of like five elephants, you'll score five points catch though is that there has to be at least an elephant drinking out of a water hole uh, somewhere in that herd now there are different types of water hole tiles where there is like a single elephant drawing uh, drinking water but then there might be also a group of animals drinking out of a water hole and then there might be another another tile that has all the animals drinking out of that water tile and if you can get you can place these tiles so that multiple groups are kind of grouped together around these water holes you can actually get more points Um, two water holes in a point it doubles the points of that herd get all three of them triples the points of that herd really really kind of cool there's also a mode where you can play with these burning bushes and there is a single burning bush a double and a triple burning bush where if you have tiles that have either one, two, or three animals on them respectively around those types of bushes, um, those animals actually get chased off, and they, they're not part of your final score, and actually could break up a herd if you don't plan for it very, uh, very well. And that's just it. That's the, the, that's the game. So on your turn, what you essentially do is you will you will select a tile that you want to move on your on your player board. They all start off with their yellow side up. And then what you do is when you select a tile, you actually flip it over and uh, it'll be your color. So now that one can't move for the duration of the game. Once it's moved, it's uh, it's it's done. 
but everybody at the table also gets to move that particular tile on their player board as as well. So you kind of have to plan out where you're creating openings so that you can possibly, when somebody else calls that particular tile, that you're going to be able to create the groupings and the herds that you kind of want. Really, really neat twist on that mechanic. I'm not going to speak about it very much more because you can listen this Saturday on Cardboard Conjecture where I'm going to actually give you my full detailed review um, of Savannah Park. So I highly encourage you to listen to Cardboard Conjecture on Saturday, kind of giving you an idea of what we've been playing. We really, really enjoy this Capstone Games family um, lineup of games. Really interested to see what they're going to come up with in the in hopefully the near future, just keep pumping out those games. Uh, deep print games, they're knocking it out of the park as well with these um, uh, these types of games. Uh, they kind of become one of my go-to publishers along with uh, Flat Out Games, um, publishing lots of really, really neat titles that kind of hit that family gaming sweet spot that I found myself in lately with my... Uh, with my youngest, with, sorry, with my oldest son, who's really starting to develop into the gaming lately. Yeah, so that's what I've been playing lately. Savannah Park by Deep Print and Capstone Games, uh, designed by Wolfgang Kramer and Michael Kiesling. Another, you know, really solid title by those two uh, very acclaimed designers. So, I've been Ryan from the Cardboard Conjecture Podcast and Bridge City Board Gamers here in Saskatoon. And I will check you next time. What's up, Internet? My name is Paparazzo Dave Chapman, and I'm the lead reviewer for the Rathole.ca and a co-host of The Legend of the Traveling Tardis. I'm super excited to be part of What You've Been Playing Wednesday, especially right now, because for November, we have been hosting the RPG Blog Carnival with a topic of indie tabletop role-playing games and starting on American Thanksgiving, or as we call it here in Canada, Thursday, We'll be running our annual series of holiday game reviews. One of the crossover points between those two things is a Christmas Carol adventure from Verge Games. This was my first time actually playing in a 5th edition game in longer than I can remember. It was a fun, relatively low stakes adventure that obviously takes many of its story points from the classic Jim Henson tale, A Muppet Christmas Carol. Sorry, what? It's, it's not? Light the lamp, not the rat. No? Okay. Sorry. Uh, the classic Charles Dickens tale, A Christmas Carol. Without spoiling anything, the players who like to just hack and slash their way through adventures will find they can do that all they want until they realize they need to do more than just hack and slash to move the story forward. The included maps are great, super high quality, plus Verge Games' website offers a line of really cool three print uh, files for all the NPCs and enemies. The other big crossover point is quickly coming to a close for us. If you're listening to this podcast before November 29th, head over to Linktree, that's L-I-N-K-T-R dot E-E slash therathole.ca, where you'll find links to all of the social media posts where you can enter our holiday indie RPG giveaway, as well as a link to our YouTube 
where the winner was going to be announced on November 29th during my live interview with the award-winning Jeff Stormer of the Party of One podcast. When it comes to non-role-playing Christmas games, it's important to remember that most of them are very intentionally family weight or younger. Funko Games Making Christmas, for example, is very much a simple kids game themed around The Nightmare Before Christmas. But when you play it with adults, it definitely could benefit from having some optional advanced rules or at least some house rules. It doesn't actually take much tweaking to really bring out some take that strategy, uh, making it a really fast, fun filler game. Holly Jolly from 25th Century Games, on the other hand, can be played by an eight-year-old, but has enough built into it for adults to thoroughly enjoy. Holly Jolly may actually be one of my favorite Christmas games that I've played in some time. Uh, the art is very classic. The scoring mechanisms are very different, giving you a whole extra layer of strategy. Uh, and for the younger players, there is a presumably intentional effect of teaching some very simple math concepts. Yay, math. The final Christmas game that I played for this week, at least, was Something Wild, also from Funko Games. This game has you playing cards with some simple set-collecting goals and the potential to gain special powers that you can only use if you control the included mini-pop figure. I have the Nightmare Before Christmas and Peppermint Lane sets, both of which can be played separately or combined with any number of licensed properties that Funko Games has reskinned this game for. Things do get a bit more complex when you add in the other sets, but that's a talk for another week's podcast. I think the highlight of my week was playing a game that I won't even be reviewing. I had the chance to sit down with the cardboard kid and her family for a game of role player adventures. They are already several weeks into their campaign, meaning they got to test out how well it handles a random drop-in player. And as that player, I came into the game completely blind. But once I had my character built, which wasn't very hard at all, um, a lot of the rules felt very, very intuitive, um, at least for anyone with a foundation in role-playing games. You can find our YouTube and all our social medias, including those giveaway entry posts, at linktree, L-I-N-K-T-R dot E-E slash therathole dot C-A. You can also catch up on our previous year's holiday reviews, as well as follow along with what we're doing this year at therathole.ca slash Christmas. Thanks for listening, and until next time, good gaming, and goodbye. Hello everybody, it's Rob and Henry from the Meeple Dungeon. Hello! And we are back again, recording for the What's Been Playing Wednesdays podcast. This week we have one game to talk about. What is that, Anna-Marie? That is The Initiative, designed by Corey Knitska and published by Unexpected Games. Yes, The Initiative. This game we've been playing for about the last 10 days or so, off and on. Yep. Um, including power outages and all sorts of craziness. <laughs> all sorts of fun stuff. <laughs> yeah, crazy windstorms and things. But we're, we're finished it, and yeah, this game has been... A wild ride. It has yeah. been a, one of the more interesting games I think I've ever played. Like one of the more um, well thought out and like tricky puzzle games. It's very I've ever played yeah. because it's like 
I don't know. Just like the, he put so much into this game. There, that's, that's the thing. There was a ton of thought put into it. It was a. It, it was, was very well, like you said, laid out. Yeah. It was very well planned. It was, uh, yeah. No, I, for those of you out there <clears throat> that may not have uh, played it or or seen the initiative, uh, what you are is you are playing kids, kind of like teenage kids playing, playing a, game. a game called The Key. So it's like a game so, within a game. Yeah, it's a game within a game. Because when you have the board on the table, it's actually the key that you're playing. Yes. But then... But you're playing the initiative. That's something that was neat uh, with mm-hmm. the with the artwork. I really liked because on the board, um, when you're playing it, you're playing as the characters in the key. But then, yeah, um, they're, they're all very cartoony and comic booky. Or no, no, uh, no, the board. Yeah, it's more hi- realistic, realistic, and, and, like, noir, noir. Yeah, very cool stylized art but when you're going through the campaign it's very cartoony yeah, and like exactly, comic book it's and it's comic booky, so yeah. it's cool is neat to um distinguish between yeah which game you're playing and every so yeah there's then <laughs> there's 14 missions to this game and each mission is really cool because you take the your mission card and you load it into this thing called the mission console console and it's basically a big uh guess who style plastic flapping door yeah like a small version of it yeah and you slide the card into there and it's going to give you clues on what you're looking for and then as you reveal clues as you're going through the game you're going to flip those doors up to reveal new things that you've discovered whether it's letters or numbers or whatever whatever. and you're going to get those by by moving around the board getting these different files depending on your scenario and uh, those files are going to have a cipher on the backside, and it's going to match and... or maybe not match something on your yeah. your card. You might find clues that are useless, or you might find clues that are totally worthwhile. <clears throat> Sorry, and uh, yeah, and you the way it works is you have a hand of cards, and in order to do any of your actions on your turn, you're going to have one of more or less three actions to do. One is to move, and you're going to play a card on the move pile, and then you can move your player up to three spots, or you can gather play a card on the gather pile and you're going to be able to pick up two files that have these ciphers in the back that will hopefully give you (laughs) some clues as to what you're looking for or you can use the intel thing uh, where you can actually flip over files in other various parts of the board revealing what they are so you can decide whether you want to go get them or not yeah and the neat thing with those piles is that uh, you have you have a hand of four cards that you're starting with yes and those cards um there are three suits. There's like purple, yellow, and green. Yep. And so they all have different names, but irrelevant yeah, for right now. suitcases, <laughs> binoculars, and radios. Yes, that's walkie-talkies. Yes. Yeah. And um, they have one to 12 from each color. Mm-hmm. And so when you're playing down on those, um, on the, the different, you know, gather or run, you need to, uh, you can only lay down a higher card than the one that was previously laid down. Yes. And so you know that you only have like three ones in the deck and three twos and three threes and so on so that uh if you get too high and you nobody has enough cards to play then you have to reset the piles and so there's a reset deck but those also have to be done like lowest to highest so So you don't have unlimited resets you have to plan that out as well and if you end up without the right cards and maybe you reset it with a two but the next card up that you guys reset with is an eight well you've just taken out six options to reset so neat how you have to really manage like hand management and and pile i guess pile management (laughs) yeah (laughs) pile management is a good way it's a really neat uh yeah i like that it's neat and aspect in there every uh scenario uh will end if you don't figure it out by the time 
kind of this clock runs out. So you can you can play all the cards once, and then once you need to shuffle the discard pile and, and dish out again, you add in these little watch cards. And if you ever bring up three of those watch symbols yes your scenario ends so you have to it's like your countdown yeah, but you don't know when it's coming <laughs> yeah and yeah and it's really really cool it's, it's very very cool um each mission is totally different than the last and some missions build on each other and like you have to use all these different things that you're discovering through the game and yeah it's just it's really well thought out and we um we talked about this at great length in our review on our own yeah. podcast on the last episode, which is episode 14. Um, by the time someone's listening to this, there might be <laughs> another episode out or so. But yeah, it was episode 14, and we did a full-on review of the initiative on the Meeple Dungeon podcast. Spoiler-free, still. Completely spoiler-free. We didn't free. put yes. any spoilers in there. Yeah, because there are some crazy spoilers and in this game. And things that, yeah, things that you'll just want to explore and, oh, and yeah. see for yourself. Yeah, if you like puzzly games at all, co-op games you should uh, check this game out. But yeah, you yeah. can uh, hear all about it on our podcast, our review of the initiative episode 14. But I think that's it for today. We got to run. So we will see you next week. Cheers. See ya. What up gamers? I'm Jason. And on this episode of What You've Been Playing Wednesdays, I'm flying solo. Unfortunately, my wife Julie's a little under the weather, so I have to do this all by myself. But don't worry, I put on my big boy pants. It's still going to be a very fun segment. Together, we are Dyson Dragons. You can find us on YouTube, Facebook, and Instagram at Dyson Dragons, and on Twitter at Dyson Dragon. And for this episode of What You've Been Playing Wednesdays, we played Winter Queen... Uh, sorry, choked on that name a little bit, so I'll say it again. We played Winter Queen. The publisher is Crowed Games. That's Crow with a D, Games. And the designer is Yuri Zaravlov. Hopefully I pronounced that right. I'm not 100% sure. This is a game for two to four players where you're going to be creating magical pa patterns of enchanted crystals. You'll be setting off spells to create wonders for the queen and trying to score the most points in order to win the game. In this game, the actions that you'll be taking will either be placing a crystal on the board, uh, you'll be taking them from tiles that will remind uh, fans of Azul of the placement uh, <laughs> tiles for those. You'll also be acquiring spell books placed on where you place said crystals. And then you also be placing crystals into your spell books in order to trigger some really cool effects and score some points. Now, I did mention that the, the trays that hold the crystals, well, just the uh, cardboard trays that hold the crystals, do remind us a lot of Azul. And this game definitely had us thinking about uh, the aforementioned one. You're going to be using a lot of the same strategy. So if you're a fan of Azul, you should definitely check this one out but you're going to be trying to create colorful patterns. Uh, the difference is, is with regards to Winter Queen is you have a lot more deterministic uh, way of scoring points. You're not just trying to make the pattern. There's different spells that you can cast that will get you different point values based on the placement of the crystals. And the placement of your opponent's crystals is also going to affect what you're able to do. Now, Julie and I did enjoy this game, but one of the things that we were constantly mentioning was 
why aren't we just playing Azure? Well, Winter Queen definitely succeeds in its own right as a fun game. The spell books and different spells that you can cast that you're going to be working towards are going to add a lot of variety and a lot of different strategies uh, to the game. There are also a few mini expansions that change play up a little bit. We have yet to be able to dive into those, but that could definitely give the game just a little bit more uh, staying power than what we've seen so far. Uh, placing the crystals on the board is very easy. The game is very easy to teach, but the iconography, I would say, is a little bit, well, it's not as user-friendly. The spells aren't quite clear as to what you're doing, and for players that may not be as advanced as others, you're going to find yourself a lot more comfortable playing a game like Azul, which has a little bit more hand-holding to it, but still a lot of strategy. Whereas, for example, in Winter Queen, one of the spells is... Uh, a drawing of a placement of a crystal with straight lines. It's not quite clear exactly how the game scores. Uh, sorry, how that particular spell scores. Now, everything is detailed quite well on player aids. So if you are playing with a group of experienced gamers, it's not like it's going to be that difficult for them to pick up what you're doing. Also, for us, the game played rather quickly. Typically, we were able to get games played within about the 20 to 45 minute mark. The more we played the game, the quicker it got. So it does have that going forward when compared to Azul, the game plays quite quickly and is a good time. The components are nice quality, cardboard is good quality, and the crystals are much like all of the crystals that you've been seeing in uh, a lot of games uh, in, the, in the more recent years. But overall, just don't have really too many complaints about the game. I do think that the learning curve uh, is definitely a little bit steeper when it comes to how you're going to score points. Players that do play this game a lot will definitely have an advantage over new players. So this may or may not be the game that's going to be a good fit uh, in your collection. Now taking a look at the scoring on BGG, it's... Uh, it's well liked, it doesn't have too many ratings, but it's not necessarily the best, and I think that really summarizes what Julie and I uh, feel about this game. While it's a fun game, uh, it does something very similar to a game that is probably far more well liked in general, and just well more liked uh, within our family, so I'm not so sure if this one's going to have that much staying power. Now, I don't really have any much more to add to this. Uh, our review, or my review, depending on how Julie's feeling, will be coming out uh, the day after this releases. So if you want to hear some more thoughts and uh, our playful banter, you should make sure to check it out. And on that note, i just like to remind everyone to keep playing games. Hey everybody, this is Norm from the Cardboard Conjecture Podcast and Bridge City Board Gamers community here in Saskatoon. And let's take a moment to see what the community has been playing. So let's go to the Facebook thread, what you've been playing Wednesday, and let's start off with Hans. Hans has been playing Terraforming Mars. It happens. It happens. Cascadia, Regicide, Wingspan, Ragusa, Kalimala, Merv, and Calico. That is an incredible lineup. I hope you didn't play those all in one day. Uh, Terraforming Mars, that's a standard for this group. Uh, it happens. That's new. Cascadia, love it. Um, Merv, I, that Merv is like one of my new favorite uh, Euro games. It's so deep. Uh, well done. Those are great games. Lane played Suburbia CE, Zombie Kids, and Punched Brew and Red Rules. Seems neat. 
but uh, he doesn't say much about that. Bananagrams and Near and Far. So yeah, that sounds like a really good lineup of family games and uh, some uh, some fun Euros. Um, Eli, slowly going through Mad Titan campaign and Marvel Champions and Cartographers. I've yet to get that campaign. Um, I'm working on um, the uh, Galaxy's Most Wanted right now, so I'm going to pick away through that one. Jason, we played Clank Legacy, Gans Sean Cleva, Brass, Birmingham, yes, uh, Meadow and King Domino this week, so... Clank Legacy. I'm, I'm not going to cry about the fact that we stopped playing that at, at pandemic start, and it's been just about two years, so I'm, I'm not going to complain. I'm not going to say anything about it. <laughs> oh, sorry. Uh, moving on. Tim played Terraforming Mars, uh, Century Golem Edition, Endless World, plus others, Warhammer Underworlds, and Wingspan. Well done. Well done. Terraforming Mars, like I said, I think that's a uh, evergreen title for this community, which is good. Ash played Clank Legacy and Gans Sean Cleva. Um, hmm. With Jason, he just said. I didn't have to guess. And Disney Villainous and Marvel Villainous. So those are two fun games. Um, I, I play, tend to want to play them just two-player because most when you get up in the numbers, it tends to... Uh, tends to um, go a little long, so that's okay. Garth! Garth played, uh, uh, as he says, I have gotten a few games the last past six months, causing me to neglect my favorite game, Scythe. While I had some extra time yesterday and two solo games, and a third using the modular board with the with, with my youngest, he says. Uh, he, he beat me by one point, 90 to 91. Uh, was wonderful to play with this old friend again. I think he's referring to Scythe, not his... Not his son. Um, uh, earlier this week, played Dune Imperium, Under Falling Skies, and Between Two Cities. Nice. Dune Imperium has surprised me to be such a good game. Brought to you by the designers and production team that uh, gave you Clank and Clank in Space. So, yeah, excellent. Well, myself, I played, um, let's see, I played Kanban uh, last week. It was such a good game. I love my Vital Lacerda. But uh, I'm going to talk about Australia with the Z, Australia, by Martin Wallace and uh, published by Stronghold Games. And uh, this is a follow-up to A Study in Emerald, which is, um, just to start off with, this is a very Cthulhu-themed uh, um, title and story. Uh, I'm not a big Cthulhu fan, but I do appreciate that it has a, uh, a long lineage and history and... Um, yeah. So um, now what this one's about is uh, it's the idea that the old ones have gone down to Australia in the outback and have fallen asleep. And uh, your job, and I think it's uh, to me, as far as looking at the theme and the, and the proposed kind of uh, um, uh, alternate timeline, it looks like uh, turn of the century because you're using, you know, World War One-esque uh, military uh, uh, artillery and, and tanks and such. And... Um, your objective, uh, it's Martin Wallace, so there's some train, there's some track building because, you know, you got to get out into the outback. And um, there's a, kind of a, uh, um, a resource generation, uh, explore, explore, explorative uh, dimension to this because with your tracks, you have to get, go out to all these deposits of coal, iron, gold, and uh, sulfite, which is, which is basically a bonus. And... Um, 
Uh, I've played the solo mode, and the solo mode um, follows much the same lines as what a regular play does in regards to what your what your Cthulhu deck does. And, and uh, I think they've designed this Cthulhu deck very uh, intuitively in regards to um, it's just chaotic. You don't know which ones are moving. You don't know which ones are going to uh, engage. Um, so, yeah, I'm having fun with this. Uh, it took a bit to dial in how the solo um, game methodology works out because um, that's my polite way of saying I got stomped the first three times I played it until I figured out, okay, in a solo mode, I have to make sure that I take care of you know this, this, and this before I'm able to profit uh, from the, the 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 consequences or the successes of those choices. So I'm gonna play it a couple more times. There's a there's a West Australia and an East Australia, and I believe that the you know like the introductory map and then the uh, more advanced map. So um, I'm gonna flip it over to the advanced map, and I'll let you know what kind of uh, bruises and scars happen from that because I'm going to predict I'm going to get you know beat up quite a bit but learning curve right and hey I'm having fun and that's I mean that's the purpose of this right have fun um, but solo you know I'd sooner play with a group of people because it's going to be a you know a different experience but what I have to take away from the solo experience is the challenge and also learning the game inside out so that I'm able to properly teach it and uh, you know, hold my own if if I if I have that ability. So that's what I've been playing. And uh, we, yeah, we're getting we're at the end of the episode. So thank you so much to all of the contributors and our new cast member, the Rat Hole. And uh, yeah, thank you so much for listening. Thank you so much for contributing, everybody. Can't do the episode without you. And that being said, keep your stick on the ice and take care out there, eh? <laughs>